So as we get ready to dive in tonight, make sure that you have your Bibles with you, you've got something to write with, and now let's dive into tonight's message. What's going on, friends? Welcome back to week two of our new series that we have called New Norm. Now, typically when we enter into the summer season, this is the time that we all like to take vacations, right? We plan out our vacations and we look forward to just getting away and relaxing and getting that time to refresh. And right now that all looks a little bit different just because a lot of places are either still shut down or they're slowly starting to open back up because of the pandemic that we've been in. So our vacations for this summer probably will look a little bit different. But like any other person, I love taking vacations and getting away for a bit. But one thing on the other hand that I don't like about vacations, and some of you will probably be able to relate with me on this, man, I hate packing for vacations, right? I hate having to lug around suitcases. I hate having to play Tetris with the back of the car trying to make those suitcases fit into the trunk space and everything. Uh, I hate trying to figure out all the different things that I'm going to have to bring with me. Like, what are going to be those essential items for the trip, right? trying to figure out what are going to be the things that you're going to actually need and not overpack. And that's usually a struggle that I face every single time that I'm taking a vacation is I ask, I ask so many questions that I have no idea what are going to be those essential items. So I just always take way too much stuff with me that I'll never end up using on vacation. However, there are tons of questions that you have to ask when it comes to packing for your trip, right? Like, what's the weather going to be like? And will the weather change while you're out there? Uh, will you need nice clothes if you decide to go out to dinner uh, for a fancy dinner someplace? And how many times will you go out to a fancy dinner? So how many of those fancy clothes are you going to need? Uh, what kind of shoes do you need to bring? Are you planning on going for a hike? Will flip-flops do just fine? Will you need any kind of dress shoes or uh, do you need running shoes? Will you need to take workout clothes with you? And are you planning on going swimming or laying next to the beach at all uh, during this entire vacation? So many questions and trying to answer those questions can really leave you feeling like you need a vacation from preparing for your vacation. And something else that I hate about packing is the constant uh, unsure that I feel when it comes to, did I pack all the right things? Or, or did I pack everything that I need, right? Uh, if you're anything like me, not only do you double check that you packed everything that you need, uh, but you triple check or you quadruple check uh, the, all those things that you packed, right? And, and even though I check and double check all the stuff that I've packed, I still always feel unsure that I grabbed everything that I needed for a, a trip. Like, did I pack my toothbrush? And did I pack toothpaste for that toothbrush? Did I remember to throw my deodorant into my baggage? Did I remember to pack enough socks? And did I even pack underwear? Even when I'm positive I packed those things, I still, every single time, feel like, man, I can't remember, and, I, and I'm totally unsure whether or not I packed all that stuff. And the, here's the irony of all this. As I was writing this message and preparing for this message, last night, literally, Melissa and I are packed, uh, started packing for a vacation that by the time that you guys are watching this, that we are on. So I just lived this nightmare. I lived this struggle. I hate, I wish I could just uh, go on vacation without any baggage. That would be 
the dream vacation right there. Uh, all that being said, there is another type of baggage that I hate, and I'm sure once again that you all could relate with me when I say this, but I hate the baggage of life. And you all know what I'm talking about, right? It's the stuff that happens to us in this life that we just carry around with us every single day. It's embarrassing moments that we just can't seem to escape from, whether it's something that we did or something that happened to us that, man, if we had the opportunity, we would erase that moment from our memory altogether. But yet people, be it family or friends, they just won't let those moments die. And you have to keep reliving those embarrassing moments. Sometimes the baggage that we carry around are painful moments. Maybe it was the loss of a family member. Uh, maybe it's the loss of a dream or a job. And the reality is that there's a lot of people during this COVID pand pandemic that are facing tons of painful losses in their life. Uh, I mean, a lot of us can remember our high school experience, right? We can remember uh, senior proms. We can remember uh, if you were on the football team, baseball team, band, choir, anything like that. You remember the playing those last concerts or playing those last games as a senior. You can remember uh, still all the emotions of waking up on graduation day and, and celebrating being done with your high school years. And you guys, I remember that uh, when it came to high school graduation, man, I, I could care less whether or not I walked. I, at the time, I could have cared less if I even went to the celebration. Uh, it's just the type of person that I am. But I, I did it. I went through the graduation ceremony, a lot of it because my parents wanted to celebrate. And it was a good time. It was a great experience. But you might be like that type of person that in those moments, you, you just kind of said, like, I, I could really care less whether or not I went through this. And you don't think that those moments, those high school experiences and graduation day and last games and last concerts, really mattered very much in your overall life. But imagine right now that we have a whole bunch of high school seniors that just graduated, that they didn't get to experience a lot of those lasts. They didn't get to do that last band concert. They didn't get the opportunity to graduate with their friends that they went to school with since elementary school. They didn't get the chance to do their senior prom, right? These are moments that, in hindsight, were just completely stolen and ripped away from them without them having a say. They'll never be able to sit there and say that, I remember my graduation, I remember my senior prom. These are moments in life that were just completely ripped away from them. The other baggage that we tend to carry around sometimes is the baggage of mistakes that we have made. It's things that we wish that we never did or the things that we wish that we did do. Uh, they're bad relationships that we should have never gotten into, and they're great relationships that maybe we should have never let go of. Uh, some of the mistakes that we make are words that we should have never said, and then sometimes it's words that we should have never left unsaid. You see, if we're not careful, the baggage that we carry around with us, we will allow to be an identifying thing. It's something that will allow to be what claims, uh, what we claim as our identity. You take the things that have happened to you and the things that you've done or that you didn't do and you allow those things to become who you are. And all of a sudden you start making these identity statements like, I'm a cheat, I'm a liar, I'm a bad friend, I'm a horrible child, and I'm just a failure overall. The reality is, man, baggage. 
I hate it. Whether it's the physical baggage that you take on vacation or the baggage of life, I hate baggage. So tonight I want to teach a message in this New Norm series, and I've called this message New Norm and the baggage that we bring. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, let me encourage you to open them up to the book of Ruth. And Ruth is found in the Old Testament. And tonight we're going to look at the story of a woman by the name of Naomi. And Naomi, uh, she, uh, her life is filled with baggage of her own. And uh, what we'll end up seeing in this story is that Naomi allows the baggage in her life to be the identifying uh, markers in her own life. You see, the events that transpire in her life are so tragic that at one point, Naomi shows up in her hometown. She's walking around her hometown, and people who know her recognize her, and they start calling out to her, and Naomi says, uh, look, I've taken on a, a name change. Let's pick up the story. This is what she says in Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. She says, don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Now, names are important. Um, some of you right now, you've, you've been named after a grandparent or some family member that was influential to your own parents. Some of you probably have junior attached to your name. Uh, others of you, you were named after uh, other people that were influential to your parents, whether uh, it was family or it was friends. Some of you might even be named after some famous people in life, whether that's history or, or a movie star or something like that. But names are important, and so are the meanings behind those names. You see, when Melissa and I were trying to come up with uh, baby names, uh, we had the hardest time coming up with a girl's name. I can't even express to you guys how difficult it was for us to agree upon a name or even come up with a name that we liked. Uh, we had like 20 boys' names that we both agreed upon and we absolutely loved, but we couldn't nail down a girl's name. And that's what uh, caused us to realize that we were going to have a baby girl because God has a sense of humor that way. Uh, in fact, we came up with our little girl's name the week that we found out that we were having a baby girl when we did our gender reveal. But um, we came up with the name Micah Amaris. And I love that name. I love that name for our daughter. And those two names on their own, Micah and Amaris, they're legit names and they sound so cool. I love it when people go, man, Amaris, that's a beautiful name. I'm like, yeah, it's legit. But those two names together, man, it tells so much more about what we as a family believe and we hold to. Um, you see, because Micah means who is like God. And her middle name, Amorous, means a gift from God. And these are truths that we believe because what her name proclaims is this. With her, uh, or with her name being Micah, who is like God, what that is saying to the world as she walks around with that name is, our God is so unique, and there's no other gods like our God. So when, when uh, that name Micah comes up, it's making this proclamation of who is like our God? No one. And then Amorous. Every time that we see Micah and we hear her middle name, it is reminded to us that our little girl is a gift from God. 
Now, Naomi in our text uh, is making a proclamation about God herself with her name change. You see, Naomi, that name means pleasant. But she says, call me Mara. And Mara means bitter. By Naomi changing her name to Mara, she is letting everyone know that the baggage that she is carrying around in her life is that of bitterness and that she is now taking on the identity of that baggage uh, in her life. And she and herself is saying that her life is very bitter. She's taking on the identity of bitterness. So what happened in Naomi's life that she would take that as her new identity and want that as her new name? Well, Let's look at the story. It's in the very beginning of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with them. Uh, the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah, and they, uh, when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilion died. They left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. So as this book of Ruth opens up, we are introduced to a very important major fact to this story. You see, the time period takes place in the time of Judges. And the reason why that's important is because there's one main theme that runs throughout the entire book of Judges. And it's almost in every single chapter of that book. And it says this, that in the time of Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Sounds a lot like the United States right now, right? The other important fact that we're told in the book of Judges is uh, during that time, the Israelite people, they didn't have an earthly king. So that's, what we, uh, that's the time period that's taking place here in the book of Ruth. Now, here's why all this is important. Because Naomi's hometown is Bethlehem. And it tells us that Bethlehem is going through this famine. And that in itself is very ironic because Bethlehem, the meaning of that name is house of bread. You hear the irony in this, that there's a famine going on in the house of bread. And the reason why it probably has to do a lot with the fact that there's this rebellious nature of the Israelite people and they're not being obedient to God whatsoever. Uh, it's because of the famine that Naomi's husband decides we're going to pick up and we're going to move out of this country and we're going to settle in the pagan land of Moab. Now, here's the crazy part. Again, names are important. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, his name means God is king. So the Israelite people, they have no earthly king, but that's because God is their king. So Elimelech does what's right in his own eyes and he moves his family out of the promised land that God has given the Israelite people to the pagan country of Moab, where they don't even celebrate God as being king. So not only is Elimelech doing what is right in his own eyes by moving his family out of the land, but he moves them to a place where God's not being worshipped. And here we are looking at Naomi's story where her, she's changing her name to bitterness, and I would say that this is strike one. Her, her 
hometown, her whole uh, life and upbringing has completely changed. So what happens next, strike two happens when Elimelech dies, right? And I think that we can all agree upon the fact that, man, whenever anybody loses their spouse, that is a tough, tough situation to be in, and their life changes forever. Uh, but Naomi is now a foreigner in a land where God is not being worshipped. Then on top of that, her sons marry two women from the Moabite country, which God's word uh, directly speaks against. Because what was going on was a lot of people, a lot of the men from Israelite, uh, from Israel were marrying these pagan women, and these pagan women were actually drawing people, these men, away from a relationship with God. So God directly forbids uh, Israelite men from marrying foreign uh, pagan women. But again, that's what Malon and Kilion do. They marry Orpah and Ruth. But strike three happens when her two sons die 10 years later. So Naomi has now literally lost everything in her life. Her, she's, out, she's living out in a foreign land. Her husband's dead. Her sons die. Uh, her sons don't even have children to these two foreign women in the 10 years that they were married to them. Uh, so the family line has literally at that point come to a stop. There's no future for this family. There's no future for Naomi. Her life is literally filled with bitterness. So let me ask you, if you were living in a foreign land and you just lost all ties, all security whatsoever, what would you do? Because Naomi decides, I'm going to pack up and I'm going to go back to my own people. I'm going to go back to my homeland. Pick up the story in verse 6 of Ruth chapter 1. It says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living. And they looked... They took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, Why should you come with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth, Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. Now, I've read the book of Ruth over and over and over again, and I've always loved this story in the Bible, and I've always loved the nobility of Naomi that uh, she would tell her daughters to go ahead and go back home. There's no reason for you to stay connected to me whatsoever. Uh, this family has had a whole bunch of travesty come upon it. Man, just, just run away from me as far as you possibly can. And, and Naomi even says, man, I pray that God would send you another husband 
who will be able to provide you security and comfort. And, and she's giving uh, Orpah and Ruth this blessing to not cling to her anymore and just to run away from all the hurt and the heartache that has come upon this family. And that's how I've always read it. But my question is, what if Naomi wasn't thinking of Ruth and Orpah? What if she was actually thinking about herself, that she wasn't looking out for these two daughters of hers, but she was actually looking out for her own well-being? And the reason why I say that is because this is what I think is going on. I, I think Naomi is trying to offload some baggage, right? I think Naomi doesn't want these foreign women that her sons married to return with her to her hometown. I think Naomi wants to live out the rest of her bitter life uh, without having the reminder of these two women, um, the face of her hurt and her heartache and the embarrassment that they've gone through, that she went through by leaving the promised land and coming back empty-handed. I think that by coming back to Judah, to Bethlehem with Ruth and Orpah, I think what Naomi is seeing and thinking is, Man, these two girls, these two faces will remind me for the rest of my life of the travesty that I've gone through. So I think Naomi is trying to offload some of the baggage in her life. Now, the baggage that we carry in our lives sometimes come from bad decisions that we've made and from hard seasons, much like a COVID pandemic or social injustice that we, that we see going on in our country and our world today. And we all have baggage. And the truth is that we don't want it, uh, but it comes with us no matter where we go. And for Naomi, her baggage comes in the form and the name of Ruth. Because as Naomi is pleading for her daughters to leave her, Ruth takes a completely different approach and she holds on and clings to Naomi. Look at Ruth's response. It's amazing. Verse 16, chapter 1. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And so despite Naomi's wishes, Ruth is holding on to her with white-knuckle intensity. And despite how much we wish that our baggage wouldn't cling to us, here's the truth. The baggage in our lives, as painful and as embarrassing as they are, may be exactly what God uses to redeem our stories. As much as Naomi didn't want Ruth to come back to her hometown with her, Ruth is exactly who God is going to use to redeem Naomi's story. The main theme in the story of Ruth is actually all about how God redeems all things for all people and how he will use our painful past to make it happen. You see, as the book of Ruth concludes, what we see is that Ruth remarries a close family member to Elimelech, and his name is Boaz. And it's through this new marriage that God redeems Naomi's story. Read along with me, Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. It says this, So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law, 
who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. You guys, no one could ever bring back Naomi's husbands or sons. But Naomi was blessed with the daughter-in-law that the people, the women around Naomi and her hometown recognized were better to Naomi than if she had seven sons to care for her. It was uh, Naomi's baggage of Ruth that brought, about, that brought about not only Naomi's redemption, but the truth is that it's the baggage of Ruth that brings about our redemption as well. You see, Ruth is going to bring about the line of David, which we know is the same line that God uses to bring a baby boy into the world who would carry the weight of the sins of the world and be nailed to a cross and die in our place, redeeming us and bringing the world back to right relationship with God. It's through Ruth that God brings about Jesus. What I love about the story of Naomi is that God shows that he has a way of making bitter things better. When Naomi tells the people to call her Mara, understand this, when she uses the name Mara, because this is the Israelite people that she's speaking to, they all have this understanding, this recollection of a story that takes place in the book of Exodus with Moses. You see, as the people of Israel uh, are roaming through the desert after they've escaped out of Egypt. They begin to uh, get thirsty, as people do out in the desert, and they begin to grumble, and they're saying, man, man we're going to die out here. We're going to die of thirst. And then uh, as they're continuing on, on their journey, they come across a body of water. Pick up the story in Exodus chapter 15, starting in verse 22. This is what it says. It says that Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. When they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Marah, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? They demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it, uh, threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. Now, guys, don't miss the foreshadowing there. Uh, this is foreshadowing what Jesus was going to do for us on the cross, using a piece of wood to make our bitter situation in this world living in sin better by redeeming us. Continuing on in Exodus, it says, it was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in whose sight? Our own sight? In other people's sight? In the country's sight? No. If you do what is right in his sight, in God's sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. When Naomi 
changed her name to Mara, it showed that she took on this new identity of bitterness. But because of what we just read in Exodus, it also showed that it left room for God to do an amazing work in her life, just as he did at the waters of Mara. You guys, I hate baggage. Again, like I said, be it physical baggage that you have to take with you for vacation or the emotional traumatizing baggage that we have to carry around in this life. I hate it. But as a follower of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad that I get to live in this new norm, that I get to live in serving and worshiping a God who makes our bitter situations better. Let's pray. Father, we all have our own baggage. It's shaming at times, it's painful, it's heavy to carry. Father, I pray that we wouldn't allow our baggage to define who we are, but God, that we would lay it down at your feet. God, I ask that you would use our baggage to redeem our story, make our bitter situation better. We love you, we worship you, we honor you, God, we glorify you. We lift this up. Jesus. Amen.